Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Professor David Harding. David is a business management consultant with experience in complex multinationals in often high risk and highly regulated organisations. David describes himself as an accidental quiet leader and here he discusses what this means, his journey and experience throughout his career. Hi David, so thank you so much for speaking to me today about the topic of quiet leadership. Um, so you've read my post on quiet leadership and uh, I'm curious to know what resonated with you and uh, more personally and maybe more widely um, and what you recognise in others. Sure. Well, hi, Juliet. Thank you for uh, inviting me to to chat about this uh, interesting subject. Uh, I, I think uh, I hadn't really considered quiet leadership a thing uh, until I saw, saw your post, uh, but it struck a chord with me because it's got me thinking about many uh, experiences I've, I've had myself over 20 years of working in different sectors and uh, industries. Um, and I think my sort of first pass at it, my first view of it, is probably where I feel like I probably consider myself uh, accidentally a, a quiet type of leadership person. Um, and the, the reason I say that, uh, I think most obviously the first impression people get about me in uh, management and leadership type roles is I'm, I, and it's not a deliberate thing, Julia, I'm, I'm, I'm mm. quietly quietly spoken mm. uh, and I think if uh, there's a lot of noise going around particularly in a team sort of environment so a lot of people fighting for airtime my natural tends tendency is to perhaps let people speak first and let the noise reach a crescendo and then plateau so it's, it's a very physical mm. thing mm. Um, unfortunately in those types of scenarios what I tend to find is that you uh, whoever's chairing the meeting, uh, unless it's myself who's very aware of this, uh, there tends to be little time made or left for uh, people who haven't spoken to actually speak up in that sort of environment. So what tends to happen from a, a personal perspective over time is it's quite easy to become uh, a bit disengaged from the team dynamic because there's a recognition that uh, you're not going to have airtime. Uh, it's potentially too hard to fight for airtime. Uh, so for a period of time, as I said, you, you tend okay. to dis disengage a, a little bit. So that's sort of one observation from uh, my view in a sort of team dy dynamic. It, it, it's a lot easier if you're chairing or, or if you own the conversation, uh, because obviously you can orchestrate an agenda uh, in preparation for those sorts of conversations and meetings, and you can make sure that people have equal airtime uh, and of course the most successful meetings are the ones you have before the actual meeting where it's, it's slightly, slightly Machiavellian of me to say this but if it's an important meeting I tend to get people to uh, share their views one-on-one -on -one first uh, so I get mm. an understanding of their position and then I, I invite them to reshare that view in, in any sort, sort of sort of forum. Uh, so th th there's a couple of things in there about the uh, I think the impact of not being accommodating of so-called physically quiet leaders mm. 
um, and also the advantage it can give you if you're in, in that sort of position of power to be able to orchestrate airtime to to, to, to give everybody uh, sort so, of so equal say in, in any situation. And I'm talking about group situations, but of course it doesn't have to be group situations because I've also worked with uh, people I would consider to be uh, incredibly strong personalities. Um, now the, the word strong implies that it's, uh, it could be either a positive or a negative trait. Uh, and some uh, people respond respond very well to strength. So I'm thinking of several characters <laughs> I've worked with in the more in the sort of engineering and construction mm. type uh, of engagements I've been involved with. Um, and people seek, seek strength, which is a very different question to of a right uh, or of a wrong, mm. but yeah, or, or is this unhelpful? Uh, so, so people seem to be attracted to this perception of, of, of strength. Um, equally, people are turned off by it. Uh, and again, if we think of, about these individuals, including, including, as I said, myself, people who consider themselves to be relatively quiet, uh, it's probably easier to fall in behind a strong personality, even though the little voice in your head is saying, no, <laughs> it won't work. I know it won't work because I've seen <laughs> it go, go, wrong, go wrong before. So these um, uh, traits uh, can, can be very, very impactful to all sorts of different people in, in different ways. Uh, I think that, that, that the last point I, I'd mention uh, is one of the uh, quite oblique criticisms I'd come in for myself as an individual uh, is about being uh, perhaps too quiet or maybe too considerate of other people. So, I, I, and I think part, part of this kind of conversation depends very much on the culture of the organisation you're working in or working for. So I'll give you two country examples. So one example has been where I've worked in a, an organization where um, uh, fairly or relatively aggressive behaviors are uh, uh, very well thought of or very well uh, considered. Uh, I've also worked in organizations where uh, people who are relatively quiet uh, to people who are thinking an awful lot. Uh, are considered to be the, the go-to people. Uh, the thing I've found for myself is falling back to my natural tendency of perhaps listening a lot first before I start talking. Uh, the impression, uh, and again it's more of an accidental impression rather than a deliberate one, is that, that I'm a, a fairly steady state, calm sort of person. Uh, and I didn't realize this about, I didn't realize I was given this impression. Uh, I thought I'd perhaps look quite, <laughs> quite, quite switched off uh, yeah. from yeah. sort of group, group dynamics. But what I found, uh, it's taken me a long time to work this out, is uh, that in, some, in many circumstances, um, specifically in circumstances where it's an all hands to the pump type of environment, a very reactive environment, particularly on IT related implementation projects and programs where there's a, a constant state of chaos mm. having, having um, accidentally um, uh, having this apparent calm demeanor uh, does tend to settle groups groups down uh, I, I, mean, I, I can cite some specific uh, examples but what I'm thinking of in particular uh, is going back to London 2012 Olympic Games where the environment I was working in was incredibly um, reactive and uh, incredibly political uh, and, and very commercial as well uh, and because 
I, I probably shouldn't admit this, but, but, but I will. But because I guess like most people, I didn't really know what was going on most of the time. So I kept fairly, fairly quiet. Uh, so I guess that's, another, that's perhaps a, an overly open way of saying I was listening and learning <laughs> as, as opposed to doing. Um, so because I was in that mode for quite, quite a long period of time, um, what I accidentally became was that go-to person, the calm person, the person who's thinking about stuff, um, the person who's trying to see other people's points of view and giving equal weight to everybody's opinion. Uh, the the accidental positive um, uh, side of that was that people saw me as a calming influence. Uh, and again, this was a huge surprise for me to, to, to actually get, get this feedback. Um, and as I said, I didn't actually realize it was a, a, a strength or uh, something which would be useful in a, in a, a typical work environment. Um, so hopefully that, that gives you some some thoughts, uh, Juliet, on, on that. Yeah, there were a couple of things you said that I really liked. Well, firstly, that you start off by saying you're an accidental quiet leader. So I'm curious about the word accident and why you use that word. Good, good, good question. I, I, I suppose I, um, I suppose the way I was thinking about that was it, it, it wasn't a deliberate thing. I mm. didn't I didn't set out to be who I am. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think some people uh, are very uh, good or very effective at, at monitoring their own behaviours and adjusting them uh, sort of accordingly. I, I, I suspect I'm one of these people who I'm aware of my behaviours uh, or I've grown more aware. Sorry. Uh, and I've potentially, as I've aged, perhaps got a little bit more effective at, at, at modelling or the ch changing behaviours. Uh, but it's taken me a long, long time to, to get to get to that point. I, do, I mean, I do occasionally work with people who are uh, relatively early on in their careers who are uh, high, what I would call hypersensitive to, to mm -hmm. behaviours to the extent where uh, they're spending a lot of time uh, really focusing on relationships and behaviors and not so much on fixing problems and, and solving issues but of course it's horses for courses you may need somebody just like that in, in, in a given circumstance so um i, I think changing our, our, our behaviors is, is a hard thing to do uh, we, if we all have natural tendencies towards a certain style uh then i i think it's quite hard to, to break that mold uh, unless you go through some sort of very deliberate process of self-reflection, training, mentoring, coaching, uh, that's, mm. that sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think it's, and for me, it's always been quite innate, you know, it's a natural style. Yeah. And certainly there are times where I'm really passionate or I love something where I can, well, I think I'm quite loud, but most people wouldn't think that sure. at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, absolutely. It, 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 it is hard. I mean, I, I've also worked in, uh, international teams uh, and that's either been face to face so working with, with people from all sorts of different countries over the years uh, or perhaps um, something which is much more difficult uh, working through the, the, the medium of you know the, the internet uh, and the thing I, I found working with people from Europe, North America, uh, India, Australia, various different other places is you really do have to make uh, consideration or or allowance for differences in interpretation of well-meaning behaviors mm. uh, and I think equally 
you have to be very conscious of also how you're perceived. Uh, as I said before, it's difficult enough uh, working effectively with people who have perhaps a similar set of values or, or sorry, values aren't the right way, but a similar sort of background or heritage or culture as yourself. That's, that's, that's quite difficult. But to do it with people who are, have a potentially very different uh, but equally valid way of doing things, it, it does make that whole process quite, quite, quite tricky. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of one. Um, sorry, I, I won't name the country, uh, but there are, there are people, there are individuals I've worked with from a particular country who are uh, perhaps famed for being um, dogmatic and mechanistic in their thinking. Uh, and, I, and on the surface, that 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 was exactly the case. Uh, but what, what I've also found is the uh, that. It, <laughs> I think from a, a, a British person's point of view, let's call it, uh, you can think a decision has been made or something has been agreed to and the body language and the eye contact and the behaviours are, are telling you that, that you know, people are working, uh, so, so, are actually with you in what you're saying. And then two months later, uh, some some awful thing happens and you can trace it back to a complete uh, misunderstanding from day one about some aspect of a project. Um, so it, again, it is something quite interesting where uh, you have to watch people who potentially agree with you too quickly, uh, very eager, eager to please, or they are agreeing with you, which can't be right because you, you can't be right all the time. <laughs> so it's quite good to have people to push back on you. Um, but equally, I think you do have to, as I said, make those considerations for people's different uh, cultural backgrounds uh, and approaches in terms of interpreting behaviours. Uh, and if that's um, part of this broader makeup of whether you're a quiet leader and uh, a so-called enigmatic leader, someone who's strong or decisive, uh, all these um, factors come, come into those categorizations of, of, of behaviours. It's really interesting and um, funny enough, I was listening to Aaron, a podcast with Erin Meyer in it yesterday, uh, who wrote the book A Culture Map. Okay. And, um, I became, I'm, well, I'm now really curious as to if there is an intersection between quiet leadership, introverts, extroverts, and the culture. Because the way she was, she was going through this and describing, you know, some of the countries around the world as different fruits, which was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating. So um, it's one of the things I, I want to explore a bit more about. Is there, is there something quite related to that? And it may be maybe an indirect link, but there's something around the the culture of those countries yeah. that uh, positions people in a slightly different way. Yeah, good, 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 great, great point, Julia. I mean, I'm thinking of people I've worked with from from the Far East, for example. Mm. So obviously, famed for for being incredibly polite uh, and, and, and I guess respectful. Uh, and I think <laughs> I think the thing I found is you start to mirror those sorts of behaviours. So for me, as an mm. individual, I found people um, who are perhaps who appear to be more, more considered uh, and thoughtful. I found them easier to work with, much easier to work with actually than, than people who are uh, on the surface opposite to me in terms of being bubbly, effervescent, uh, very sort of uh, reactive, I think. Uh, whether that, I mean, I suppose culture must play into those those sorts mm. of behaviours. 
Um, but I, I, again, I, I suppose to, to just thinking about this idea of sort of co uh, quiet leadership, um, it, it can present all sorts of opportunities and um, uh, problems d depending on, on the not not so much the just the perspective of the individual uh, around around that person, uh, but as we're talking about here, what what the sort of cultural or, or broader cultural background might be. I, I think I think a really interesting distinction I've I've drawn up, and perhaps it's an unfair distinction, is uh, my my career studied in, in manufacturing. Uh, so as you can imagine, very reactive, very dynamic, very uh, very very physical. Uh, you know, there's a lot of physical movement literally mm. going on within any organization. Uh, and I remember the first time I worked in a public sector type of environment. Um, and I'd been with this public sector client for two hours when, when my line manager asked me the, qu <laughs> the question, have you ever worked in public sector before? And I said, no. He said, we need to go and have a cup of coffee. I, I Like now. We we need to have a conversation. Uh, I, I won't tell you, I won't tell you exactly what we covered, but he did draw some uh, clear distinctions between the behaviours I, I was exhibiting, uh, potentially wearing a, a manufacturing. Let's go a manufacturing type hat, which is is fairly proactive, uh, slightly pushy, uh, perhaps focused, uh, time driven, and so on and so forth. Whereas that particular environment, and many similar public sector environments I've worked in, arguably aren't like, like that and, and sometimes for, for very very good reason they're policy focused as opposed mm -hmm. to, uh, to, to, to delivery focused um so yeah it, it, it is something which, which which i think you have to be very conscious of uh and i suppose what i'm thinking is that irrespective of your of anyone's natural tendency to, to be a, a quiet leader that the, the key to it is not to see it as a weakness uh, and again, just going back to my own personal experiences, I, I, I over a long period of time discovered it is actually a huge strength. Uh, and nobody was more surprised than me <laughs> to find out it actually was okay to be uh, relatively quiet uh, in, in all sorts of different situations. Uh, but as I said, there are some organisations who will call you out for it. Um, <clears throat> it's very, very brief. I, I mean, I can think of two or three specific occasions where I've had quite difficult conversations with line managers or people who are uh, assessing me. So, I mean, these conversations tend to happen in things like the annual review. Mm -hmm. And I know the conversation is going to go badly when the, when the sentence quite literally starts with the phrase, look, you're a really nice guy, but... <laughs> uh, and the first, the first two, I mean, it's happened to me three oh, times, okay. twice in the same company, actually. The first time I felt quite quite worried uh, along the lines of what's wrong with me <laughs> and then the second time I heard it, it it's kind of well okay so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with me uh, but perhaps uh, I need to not be a nice guy anymore uh, and you, you, you can read into that phrase a million things then um, the, <laughs> the third time it happened uh, it was probably well, I'm a, of an age and of an experience now where I'm actually quite, quite proud of that. So uh, I, I guess I don't fit in this organisation if you think being a so-called nice guy is, is detrimental. Um, so I, I won't name the organisation, uh, but but it's, it's one of these sort of fairly typical dynamic, slightly uh, aggressive. And in this case, actually American based type of environment, which again, I'm not critical of it, uh, but I, I 
uh, give my um, my sort of natural tendency, I, I, I didn't fit in that particular environment. So there's only so far you can go with with uh, being perceived as, as being uh, a, a quiet leader. At some point, you have to make that decision as to whether if you can't change yourself uh, and you certainly can't change your organisation, it's pretty time to ha have a rethink about the CV <laughs> is my thinking on that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I got, I, I remember someone, it was a long time ago, someone saying to me, you know, it's okay to get angry. <laughs> <laughs> why, why would I? <laughs> I, 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 I? I'm actually relieved to hear you say that, Julia, because uh, again, it's it's one of these things where uh, I, I, I can't, I don't know whether it's an age thing or an experience thing. Uh, and it's a very obvious thing to say, but there really are more important things to think about than work. Uh, and I know that might be a real enoughness myth to some people. Uh, but I, I mean, you can get quite deep about this. You can think about, about your reasons for going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I suppose some people, uh, and there's a whole bunch of different reasons, but mm -hmm. I don't think it's unfair of me to say some people go to work because they want to be, they want to develop uh, uh, some sort of, higher level of, of respect or, or, or perhaps some way of uh, stabilizing or improving that their personal ego and their own images of themselves and that, that's fine you know, we, we all need different things some people at the other end of the spectrum go to work just to get paid uh, and somewhere between those two extremes there's, there's, there's a million different reasons why people go to work and I suppose depending on where you are on that spectrum uh, it's probably going to um, perhaps explain some ways people's behaviours at work. So I guess what I'm saying is, for people who get very frustrated and, and, and angry uh, at work, are the ones who probably aren't motivated by money uh, and probably are more towards the spectrum of building some sort of reputation or, or some level of respect or leadership or trying to instill that in other people, perhaps. Um, so I would suspect that they're, they're probably quite. Uh, uh, um, What's the word for? It's relatively emotional. Having said all that, I'm going to contradict myself straight away. Some of the best leaders I've ever worked with, uh, I'm talking about uh, sort of board level people, CEOs, CIOs, CFOs. Um, some of the most effective leaders I've ever worked with, uh, with now, now we're talking about it, I would say are the ones who are what we're talking about, uh, are relatively quiet, quiet mm. leaders. Uh, and occasionally people use the word presence. So mm. these people have presence. So I, mm. I think what I'm starting to suspect, if they're anything like me, and I'm not suggesting they are, but if they're anything like me, they either don't know what's going on, so they keep quiet, <laughs> but look very in control. Uh, so that can portray accidentally uh, that, that sort of deep-rooted uh, reassurance of understanding. Uh, or potentially um, they're six months ahead of everybody else in terms of their thinking. And they're very deliberately giving people airtime to to reach some sort of consensual conclusion. Uh, but but those sorts of people I'm thinking of uh, tend to have an, an air of mystery around them. Uh, whether that's deliberate or not, I, I, obviously I, I don't know. Um, but the, the other thing I found is very occasionally um, those sorts of individuals you you will very occasionally see a little twinkle in the eye or or a slight smile. <laughs> and you realize uh, or so i've realized or i i like to believe i've realized it's they're just like me 
<laughs> they're, they're normal people. They're 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 worried. Yeah. You know, they're happy. They're they're they're, they're uh, all sorts of different emotions. Uh, and they're probably a little bit bored of of, <laughs> of hearing a lot of uh, of witnessing the same behaviours from perhaps middle managers or, or below. Uh, so to occasionally press the right button and uh, break through their quiet veneer <laughs> does tend to bring a, a positive response like most of the time. Yeah, it breaks a whole load of other conversations. Yeah, I'm just thinking actually, there's a lot lot to cover in that. Yeah, I I think it's really interesting because um, I I actually resonate with what you said about, you know, the the bit of air of mystery. People used to say, and people still say, it's quite hard to get to know me because I tend to sit back and listen and while I'm serving, but um, I think if you've read my blog, my mind is going a million miles an hour trying to see, does that resonate with me? Is it, am I 100% in or not? Or, you know, what's going on? Can I make those connectors? And I think people often think that you're not thinking about anything and that's not true. Yes. You know, when you're quiet, you are quietly beavering away, going in, you know, yeah. what, what's going on? How do I fit in this? Is it for me? Uh, nine times out of ten, it's probably not, because for me, it's got to be really interesting, something I'm really passionate about. Yeah. But I, I think wrapped up in your conversation, the, the description of emotional intelligence comes up for me, because you could be, you know, when you lean into the, the power of that quiet leadership, that introversion, and it is incredibly powerful. You, could, you learn how to do that. You know, you equip yourself in certain organisations, you know how to respond, you bring on your experience, you will also know how to read that group and not many people can do that i mean truly read what's going on yeah it's it's, it's a really interesting point point you made there uh, about on the surface potentially being perceived as as fairly quiet um i mean i i I used to work in a small team many many years ago there's four of us uh and we were taken off site um for some team building and I mean, I must be in my mid mid twenties in a manufacturing environment. Mm. Um, and we were all, I think, at the time we, we thought we we would, uh, what's the word? We, we were kind of not helping each other. We, we were all, all odd, odds and sods with each other, or, or grating against each other. Uh, and we were taken off site to to a university, which I'll rename uh, nameless. And this chap gave us a piece of uh, a flip chart paper each and a pen. And he said, go and draw your role in relation to the rest of the team in a picture and then present it back to the group. And it was a really interesting exercise because it's a way of articulating Mm. how you think of a a CU or perhaps which is also a reflection on how you think you see yourself. Um, So so I, I drew myself off to one side with a 20 light bulbs over my head and lots of, <laughs> lots of gesticulating fingers and I, was, and I was trying to say I've got all these ideas I'm probably not very good at articulating them and at least half of them will be really rubbish half of them might be okay and one mm. one out of a million might be useful <laughs> I, I don't know so, so I, I saw myself as an outsider who nobody listened to uh, one of the other chaps I, I won't go for all four but one of the other chaps drew uh, a steep incline and he was pushing a huge boulder mm-hmm. up this incline uh, he drew a little stick man pushing this boulder and three other stick men off to one side arguing with each other <laughs> so, so his perspective of himself was he was doing all the work while the other three other three chaps 
argued all day and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lessons learned for me, it, I mean, it's a real shock. And it's, um, I won't say it was emotional, but it was a real, there's some awkward conversations afterwards uh, about how each of us saw ourselves. And, and anyway, long story short, what we discovered is that the people who put the team together had kind of seen these sorts of traits. Uh, and they wanted us to understand them to sh- so we could learn mm-hmm. how to recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses. And it was a really hard exercise. I mean, we're talking of a period of six to eight weeks of fallout, po- sorry, positive fallout from the mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it worked very well. And I suppose what it taught me, uh, just back to your point, is, is that idea of you may perceive yourself in one particular way. So uh, just to use your phrase, my mind going at 100 miles an hour. Uh, where externally I was viewed as somebody who's, who's a bit off to one side and a bit quiet and, uh, and not and not contributing a lot. When I thought I was doing all the contribution, <laughs> so, I, mean, it, it's, I mean I'm not suggesting people do this exercise, but but it's a really interesting point to just emphasise how the way you see yourself it's very unlikely that people see you in the same way. It doesn't mean there's a right or a wrong to that statement. It it, it is what it is. Uh, so it's just being able to articulate, which brings us right back to your point again about emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's a good description of really understanding yourself um, and understanding how people respond. So why people respond to you the way they do uh, and not to be critical of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, and it's not it's not an easy thing. And I don't think we ever stop learning on how to do that sort of sort of to develop that sort of skill. I think. No, I think you're right. And I think certainly with what we've been through in the last year or two yeah. uh, with everything going on in the world I, I think we are learning more about ourselves than any other time before because it's been forced upon us yeah. and learning about other people but still that interaction of how you deal with that particularly remotely yeah. and how you manage that is is really interesting so a, a question for you David yeah. when um, at what point did you feel you found your own voice be able to speak up i know exactly i know exactly when it was <laughs> I, I mean if i looked at my diary i could almost g- g- give you a date and time wow. okay uh, so I, I, so i'll give you i'll give you one very quick and then one specific example um so i was i started to get an inkling of it was okay to be me uh in a situation where i was employed as a consultant and the client asked me to go and look at something uh, and what I found was so horrific. I went to my line manager, my my my, my company's boss, basically my, my my and I said to him, "We can't do this project. It's complete chaos out there." <laughs> and he did the worst possible thing. He agreed with me. He said, "Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Let's go and tell the client." And I was relative again. I was relatively young. I was probably in my early early thirties at this point. And this this chap. An amazing. I, mean, with, I didn't realise how how uh, how great this experience was until years later. He put me in front of a client, and said, and he said the words, "We are being paid for you to say what you think." So, mm-hmm. so in other words, we value your opinion. Off mm-hmm. you go. So, so I spoke my mind. I, mean, I won't tell you what happened afterwards, but <laughs> basically, but basically, I, I mean, I was told. We're not, you're not being paid because you, you're good on a spreadsheet or you can do process mapping or something. We, we, we want to hear about your experiences and how what you've just seen compares and, and what you think we should do. So th- that was my first inkling. But to be more specific, uh, I, was in a, I was giving a presentation to a, uh, a, a board of directors 
uh, and it was an incredibly dysfunctional board. Uh, and the reason I knew they were dysfunctional is because I'd, I'd interviewed every person one to one over the preceding three or four weeks. Mm. Uh, and again, I, I won't go into detail too much, uh, but the behaviours for me as an outsider were, were pretty shocking. Uh, more importantly than than being shocking, the, the effect of the behaviours was everybody was pulling in every different direction they could think of. Uh, and even worse than that, nobody was talking about it. Uh, so I'd, I'd been um, asked to take a look at their uh, uh, business strategy. That and this was a joint venture. So it was senior leaders from two different organisations who'd actually been working together for about two years at this point. Mm. And I remember standing in this boardroom and I was going through, through my analysis of what I'd found from examining their business. Um, sorry, I'll do this, like their business strategy yeah. and business plan. And a little, and these guys started fidgeting with each other. And everybody was very well dressed. That's, that's the thing that's really struck me. Incredibly well dressed, ties, suits, haircuts, you know, all very image um, conscious, uh, which was a complete revelation having spoken to them weeks before one to one. Um, so it's just, it's just an initial observation. So my first judge was hang on, a lot of people putting on an awful lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're, they're acting very hard to be something that, that I don't think they are. And I'm, again, not critical, just first observation. Mm. And as, as I went through my presentation, these little changes in body language started to happen. Um, and the body language got tenser and tenser, arms started to be fold, the shoulders were going up, people were looking at, at each other. Uh, and I can't remember. Somebody says something like, "Of it's typical." This is it's, I, I, it, in no specific reference. And for some reason, I got quite angry. Um, and the reason I got angry wasn't because of uh, wasn't so much because of what I found. It was the fact that these people were making their lifelong missions to work against each other. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that. They were thriving off it, uh, and their their behaviour uh, across the two companies, the one board of directors, their behaviours were deemed to be normal, everyday, reactive, firefighting type behaviours in a most destructive way. Um, and I was being paid as a freelance consultant at the time, so of course. Part of me is thinking, don't say too much because I really need to hold on to this engagement. And the other half was thinking, speak your mind. <laughs> you're paid. <laughs> you're paid to speak your mind. And and something yeah. something snapped inside. Mm -hmm. And it's a very quiet uh, uh, meeting. What you know, what wasn't uh, uh, attention? Sorry, it wasn't uh, an aggressive shouting mm -hmm. debate you know, type of uh, environment. And I, I told them what I thought. I said, we need to call. I said, I need to call this out. I said. There's, I've got 70 recommendations for change here, uh, and none of them are going to work. And the reason they're not going to work is you all seem hell-bent on working against each other. And I don't understand why you're doing that to yourselves. And the whole room went very quiet. And the first person to speak was the managing director. And he said, you're right. You're absolutely right. And the, the whole, it felt like something snapped in the room, in mm. the air. Just, and everybody just dropped their shoulders. It's like, yeah, this person's right. It took an outsider to come and tell us what we already knew. 
and we didn't want to talk about it. So I left that room on a massive high, A, because they extended my contract. <laughs> but perhaps more importantly than that, it's because for once I actually said what I thought and it was deemed to be a value. So the fact that I'm perceived or perceived as quiet, perhaps um, a little bit focused or maybe even distant, uh, has worked very, very well here. And it gave me such a huge boost in confidence. Uh, and I realized I was never going to have the conversation again, which started with, you're a nice guy, but. Um, and it, it just is that particular moment. And I, I mean, I'd left, I was, as I said, I was freelance at the time. So I think the, the sense of freedom I had was whatever happened from this conversation, it was on my own shoulders. So I'm responsible for myself here. Uh, I guess where I wasn't doing so was when I was working in large corporate type environments where the politics uh, and this is the politics you're aware of not even the, mm -hmm. the politics you're not aware of bear down on you heavily and you have to conform to certain non-described or spoken behaviours which are a bit of a mystery to everybody uh, so it just felt like a huge opportunity to call out uh, I mean, you're aware of the story of the emperor's the emperor's clothes yeah. Uh, yeah. it's just that moment of I don't need to hide in a large organization and uh, follow the company line. And I'm not, I'm, again, I want to be very careful. I'm not mm -hmm. critical of that, but for, for, but for my, uh, all, all the baggage I had or had developed to that point said to me, I'm going to be much more effective being uh, working for uh, either for myself or being on point for once. Uh, and to be absolutely blunt, you do it, being myself. And it's a very mm -hmm. odd feeling. It's okay to be yourself. Um, it makes you unique and therefore vi valuable in some context. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're quiet, fine. If you're not quiet, just be a bit more perhaps considered of other people. Uh, but more importantly, uh, ask questions. Because if you're not asking those questions, uh, so if nobody else is asking those questions, you either don't understand something which you very true, very likely, or perhaps more importantly, nobody else understands anything either. And they're too frightened to say, I mean, frightened mm. is a strong word to use, but I've come across so many companies, I'm talking in excess of 30 different companies here across public and private sector, the, the amount of fear in individuals who are making the journey from operational to middle and senior management mm. roles is quite astonishing. There appears to me, I'm, again, I'm quite happy to be called out on this. It appears to me that those people who break through the senior middle management layers in terms of organizational structure and get into those what I would call proper leadership roles, they're the ones who tend to relax and feel like they can be themselves. They have nothing to prove to anybody. So they can drop the facade. And if they're naturally quiet, great. If they're not naturally quiet, great, because that's valued in that particular organization uh, but again it's taken me many many, many years of yeah. wondering wondering what's wrong with me <laughs> yeah I love that story and actually the thing that resonated with me is just having that acknowledgement and feedback because quite often when you're quiet people think that you're okay because you're going on beaving around doing the work Absolutely. but it's still and even more so important to give feedback and that acknowledgement to people even if you say that's fantastic or yes, I acknowledge that or the yeah. type of feedback that you've had yeah. because you get that sense of, oh, okay, it's okay. I can continue to do that. 
and that 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 I think is missing from a lot a lot of positions people that give the feedback yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, it, it just use tr- triggered another memory there, um, Julia. I mean, I do recall saying to people actually, and this sounds it's an awful way of saying it, but it's it's, and you, I'm sure we've all heard it many times, but it's the quiet ones you have to watch out for. And the reason I say that yeah. is whenever I've been, so for example, presenting, uh, mm. uh, and I don't mean facilitating in a workshop, but kind of formally presenting to to a uh, a group of people or whatever, whatever level. Um, the people who are uh, very, very quiet and apparently disengaged or disinterested, they're either genuinely disinterested or worse, they're absolutely on fire inside and they're boiling mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the extent where it's a physical effort to, to contain themselves. Um, and and they're, they're the ones who tend to take the most time from you at some later date, whether it's uh, reassuring, coaching, debating, discussing, and so on and so forth. The people who, uh, again, only in my experience or from my kind of narrow perspective, the people who are relatively well engaged uh, are the ones who are the they, they they're probably just okay with with things and they're they're happy to you know to to, to engage and 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 learn or share. Yeah. Yeah. But the people who are very, very quiet, you, uh, again, I notice them straight away because it's kind of, well, I can't work these people out, but they're either a time bomb waiting to go off, which means they're very passionate about their work, which is brilliant. You you need passionate people, yeah, or or perhaps equally difficult to deal with. They're totally disinterested. But either way, there's a, re- there's a reason. Mm. You know, there will always be a reason. People don't choose to go to work to be angry and upset. There will mm-hmm. be a reason whether it's real or imagined. Uh, and I suppose the trick to this, um, or, or part of the toolbox, let's say, being a quiet leader, is to notice that in people, and then work out how to, how to best to to address it. And and mm-hmm. and I, and obviously not in a group situation. If somebody's caused you some concern in that context of being overly quiet, uh, then of course it merits some sort of. Well, put it put it this way, Julia. I tend to find, let's go and have a coffee. Yeah. literally outside yeah. the building I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm i mean the other thing i've noticed recently um and again i laugh about it but i think it's it's, it's, it's served me very very well is some of the most effective conversations i've had <clears throat> and i think most people will probably find this is where you kind of t- time out and for me leaving the building with that person assuming you're in a uh, somewhere you can go and grab a coffee somewhere and just walking away from that normal place of work and chatting in, informally uh, those tend to be the most useful conversations uh, and they're a good way of uh, really getting to know these overly quiet people mm. and find out what's what's actually going on mm. um, so yeah again it's it's something I didn't know I did uh, and I was doing it because I quite like coffee if I'm honest about it and if I sit still in one place for too long I get I get fidgety so I so for those two perhaps quite shallow reasons, I'm quite happy to jump up and say, right, let's go have a coffee. Uh, but as I said, the spin off from from me behaving like that tends to be those really good, uh, thoughtful, insightful conversations with all sorts of people. But, but, but as I said, usually fairly quiet ones as well. Mm. Yes, I was known for cups of tea. I've always <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, you must have biscuits as well. Just, big big mugs of tea. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much, David. That was really interesting. I feel like we could talk for hours on this. Might have to do this yeah. again. Yeah, well, I, I have. <laughs> I have a lot of anecdotes, and well, here's the thing, Juliet. They're interesting to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because they're my memories, but whether they're of any interest to anybody, so I, I, I have no idea. But I, I think I, I do think back. I guess we all do this. I think back a lot over different experiences, uh, and I suppose hind, hindsight is a wonderful thing. You can kind of work out what what happened and why it happened. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, the conclusion I, I've come to, and it, it has felt like a real journey. Um, I don't really have to make a huge amount of effort to change radically because if I have to do that then I'm probably in the wrong place um, and it's very easy for me to say this at this stage of my career if I was in my mm. 20s and, and desperate for experience and, and employment uh, I'd probably be a little bit more um, what's the word I'm looking for I'd probably be a bit more uh, agile in, in, my, in, in my, my sort of behaviours and, and attitudes yeah. um, so there's no right or wrong good or bad but I think it's just this sensitivity um, around different people's go-to preferred behaviours. So I keep coming back to that, that word behaviours because just very, very brief. One thing I've been looking at recently uh, from an academic perspective is something called role theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a way of describing how two people uh, interact. And the way they interact, the way it's described through role theory is I will have some... Um, uh, how, how do I say this? I will have some sort of predefined view of your role. So it's mm-hmm. always if you're a if you're a HR director, mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly, in my head, I would have classified a HR director role as ABC. You know? yeah. So in other words, I have that expectation. Then, but I meet the HR director, and let's say I meet the HR director, and I'm in the role of the CEO. So that person will have an expectation of my behaviours for my role, yeah. So what role theory talks about is first of all those preconditions before meeting, and then the exchange of usually information between those two roles. And what you're doing is you're sense checking each other's behaviours, and then you you either are trying to influence them to change their behaviours to meet your model, or you're changing your behaviours to meet their model. Uh, and the idea is it's a continuous loop yeah. of kind of yeah. feedback and it's, it sounds a bit academic but the reason I mentioned it the reason I mention it is it just goes back to this idea of being quiet or a quiet leader because I'm not suggesting you mirror people's behaviors because sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't but what I would suggest is that um, if you have an expectation uh, or, or sorry perhaps try, try and be broad-minded in your expectation of a role and distinguish it from the individual so it's a very long-winded way of saying not all CI, not all CEOs behave as what you would expect a CEO to be behave at, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about. Yeah, it. I think you're right. I'm a great believer in that job titles don't define you because when you talk to individuals, it's about what you bring to the table. It's never around, you know, the job title. And I think that, and certainly, you know, I think back in my early career, you know, I was very career-driven and very ambitious and job titles were incredibly important to me, really important. But I think as I've learned, as maybe I've got older, more experienced, more because I've spent a lot of my years hiring, is that they don't define you because when you take that away and you're having a conversation with someone, you know, it's incredible what you can find out from people and to yeah. see, you know, 
see how their behaviours are, what they like, what they don't, and what really lights them up. That's, that's incredible. So you're right. And, um, yeah, this period of adjusting is quite dangerous because then you're bordering on that bias, aren't you? But that period of adjusting with somebody, you know, treating people, we're all human at the end of the day, whatever job title or label we've got on ourselves. It's fine. Yeah, it makes the world interesting. Otherwise, we, yeah, we'd be all very boring if we if we, uh, <laughs> if we didn't have these differences, I think, or perceived differences. Sorry, I should say. Exactly. Um, so, just to wrap up our conversation, David, uh, what tip would you give to people who think they are introverted or you know, on this quiet leadership path? What tip would you give for people to, I guess, establish their own voice, you know, know that they can be successful in their own skin? Yeah, I, I, I think there's two, two things. One I think I've already mentioned, and, it, and it's, it's very easy to say and almost impossible to practice, but it's, it sounds awfully cheesy, terribly cheesy, but it's, it is okay to be yourself. Um, and I think when people see that in you, that you're being, I think it's called authentic leadership. It's a phrase they use nowadays. Mm-hmm. But if, if you are yourself, uh, people see it and they're more interested in that, you being genuine, because the trust you develop is, is instantaneous. And once you have the trust, you can be as, you can be wrong a lot. But as long as you are open about it, it's okay to be wrong a lot because because we're all we're all learning. So I guess it's it's it's, it's just that point about be yourself. Uh, and if you're like me, if you're lazy uh, in terms of not pretending to be something you're not, uh, it's okay. So, so that's that's kind of one one thing. Again, very easy for me to sit here and say that uh, a lot of people will, will fight through that process for, 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 for many many years. But as long as you're aware of it, it, it it's okay. The, the other thing, um, it, it might actually stem from that that point I'm making. Actually, is I, I don't, if you get chance or try and create the opportunity when you can explain to people what you would do, how you behave. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a very odd way that I've said that. I guess what I'm saying is, if you're thrown together in a new environment and you can create the situation where people can have open conversations early on. I mean, you could always start with, look, I'm, I'm make a bit of a joke about it if you need to. But you could say, look, my my way of working is I'm pretty quiet. Uh, I just want to let you know I'm not quiet because I'm disinterested. I'm quiet because I'm thinking about stuff. Uh, so if you're able to make an allowance for that, uh, mm. I'd be highly appreciative. And of course, just by making those very open statements, um, you're inviting people to tell you their version of their behaviors so it's another way of developing trust very very quickly um so i guess the two words i'm coming to is confidence and o- openness um again it very easy to say <laughs> very 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 hard to practice <laughs> particularly if you're in yeah. sort of fairly relatively staid traditional corporate type type environments that, that's either welcomed or or frowned upon mm. so hopefully that that yeah, no, it's great. So I smiled because your last point. So um, I've, as I've got older and more wider, I guess, <laughs> I've, I've mm-hmm. said, look, this is how successful I am. And people look at me and go, what? So, what? <laughs> I don't care. And then just walk off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
it, it's okay. It, I mean, up to a point, it's okay, you know. Uh, uh, but 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 yeah, I I, I I work with I do work with so just to illustrate the point a little bit more, I do work with, um, so so I I work work for a couple of universities, and I do get to spend time with people, uh, well undergraduates and and, and postgraduates and most of the time people below the age of twenty five twenty six, mm. uh, and certainly people who haven't worked uh, or had much employment experience, um, and, and it's. In one sense, it's it's heartwarming and equally heartbreaking to see them battling with themselves to yeah. be themselves. I mean, I, I, I run this very I run this great exercise with students, yeah, to, normally postgraduates, where I'll get somebody to stand at the front of a room and shut their eyes in front of all their students, their, their friends, and I'll ask them to des- describe the day in the life of their thirtieth birthday week and I'm quite pedantic about it as you wake up in the morning you open your eyes what do you see are you in a house you know do you have a car what kind of car do you have are you yeah. commuting to work are you, are you going to work are you married do you have kids and the list go question goes on and on and on and the point about it is is it's a very different conversation to um what do you want to be yeah. or how much do you want to earn which is quite quite close to people's <laughs> hearts uh, all the time and, and but the outcome is the same. The outcome is well, let's let's get real about it. How how can you even describe that future future? Well, the thing I call is called future you. So how do you describe your future self? Because if you can't describe it for yourself, then how on earth are you going to plan to get there? Uh, and it's just like typical project management, program management, uh, visioning and transformation type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's for, for the individual. And the point I'm making is. The answers they give aren't very important. The point is that they're able to really get comfortable with themselves. And what I tend to find is people who engage with the exercise uh, thoughtfully over a period of time, you see the little light bulbs going off and they're starting to reprioritize their worries and concerns. And the net effect of that is their confidence levels start to creep up. Uh, and I, I don't know why it works or how it works. Uh, it's something I just made it up. I, I, I can't even know why I made it up. Um, but it's one, I'm sure, of a million ways of getting people to understand what's important, being able to articulate it, and then focus on how they're going to get there. Yeah. Uh, and the, again, just to stress, not the answers they get to, but the process of doing this yeah, gives that confidence level. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're talking about they're talking about the interesting stuff mm. uh, and the barriers are dropping mm. and all these desired behaviors or all these expected behaviors fall away mm. and they start to be themselves mm. and all of a sudden they're an engaging productive effective interesting sort of sort of person and, and it's lovely and, and I, I wish it's, it's, I wish companies could do more of that sort of stuff um, and encourage people to not bear, not bear their soul obviously there are limits <laughs> But but just try and re-emphasize what's important uh, um, and perhaps what's, what's not so important in terms mm. of c- career. Yeah, no, it's a great, great. visualization exercise. It's great to, when I used to ask it, when I was hiring, and I ask it now, I do something similar to you in coaching because um, it's never about the end goal. It's about what else is going on. And oh, it's yeah. fascinating because when you 
when they hit some real golden nuggets, you, you know, the light up moments they have. Yeah. Yes, it's great, isn't it? It is Absolutely good. Absolutely amazing. So, yeah, great notes to move on. Thank you so thank much, David. Really you. appreciate thank your time. No worries. And thank you, Julia. Uh, great chat to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more. I challenge their thoughts to create possibility. Anyone can be part of the conversation. Leave me a message, ask a question, and connect with me. 